Welcome to the Change Lives, Changing Lives podcast, a ministry of Locust Hill Baptist Church in Travelers Rest, South Carolina. My name is Michael Hodge, Senior Pastor at Locust Hill. At Locust Hill, we celebrate the change that God alone could bring in our lives, and we also recognize the calling to share that good news with others. Lives changed by Christ, changing lives by Christ. We welcome you to this podcast where we want to equip you to live in the reality of a life changed by Christ. Disciple-making is at the core of a church's calling, and we want to take advantage of every resource we can to encourage you today. We invite you to join us for a service Sundays at 10.15 a.m., Wednesdays 6.30 p.m. Our church is located at 5534 Locust Hill Road in Traveler's Rest, South Carolina. Our website is locusthillchurch.org. Welcome to our episode of Gentle and Lowly, now episode 10. We've discussed one or two chapters of Danny Ortland's book, Gentle and Lowly, over the course of these 10 episodes. And our prayer is that God will use these recordings in someone's life to encourage them in their growing walk with Christ. So in this episode, we're looking at two chapters, chapters 13 and 14, for those that are following along in the book. We're going to seek to answer the question, why the Spirit? And then we're going to look at the Father's love. And so obviously the book has been all about the heart of Christ, but during this episode, we're expanding that out to talk about the Father and the Spirit. So why the Spirit is the question here based on John chapter 14, verse 16. And I think the Trinity is one of the least discussed and definitely misunderstood doctrines of our faith, and yet it's the foundational truth of our faith. God the Father, God the Son, God the Holy Spirit, one essence, deity, eternally existing as three persons, undivided in nature and yet working inseparably. And so as we seek to grow in our knowledge of Father, Son, and Spirit, our lives are going to be impacted. And I believe that will certainly impact those as they gather in Bible study and worship when they understand who our God is. And so, Jason, you kick off our conversation as we dive into chapter 13. Well, Michael, I love the fact that a book on the heart of Christ uh, dives deeper in talking about the Spirit and the Father. And, of course, chapter 13 here begins with the Spirit. And this quote is, is at the beginning of the chapter. It says, This is a book about Christ, the Son, the second person of the Trinity. But we must be careful not to give the impression that what we're seeing in Christ is somehow out of step with the Spirit and the Father. So I guess to begin our conversation, Michael, what aspect of the Spirit is chapter 13 really trying to draw out? I think the first thing is realizing it's easy for us to focus on Christ. He took on flesh. He took on the form of a servant. And so it's easy for our minds to identify with that image of Christ taking on flesh and the New Testament emphasizing of him enduring all that we've endured. And so it's easy for us to fix our eyes on Christ. And yet I love how Dane Ortland shifts our focus to the role of the Spirit. He quotes from Thomas Goodwin. He says this about Christ being manifest in the flesh. He expresses and utters but what was in the heart of all the three. And so the role of the Spirit really, I think, unpacks really well in this chapter is the Spirit is helping us to understand who is Jesus, who is the Father. And we'll see that as we go through all of our questions, the role of the Spirit pointing us to the Father and the Son. And so to you, Jason, he talked about the role of the Spirit and different aspects of who he is. 
a number of different characteristics here. And so the question I would ask is, which of these roles stands out to you more out of the list of what Ortland shares? Um, what really helps you to connect the Holy Spirit to our study, our journey through understanding the heart of Christ? Well, trying to narrow down this list of the roles of the Holy Spirit is is like trying to make a Christmas list from the J.C. Penney catalog. Right. You know, it's just too difficult because everything is awesome and everything is great. And even the roles of the Spirit that, that Ortland points out, you know, empowers us with gifts, testifies in our hearts that we are God's children, so on and so forth. There are multiple roles there. The, the thing that the Spirit does is it, it makes the heart of Christ real to us. The Spirit helps us understand the heart of Christ. And that's the beautiful role that I think is uh, that the Spirit does for us is because Jesus left us with the Spirit and he promised that we would be empowered by the Spirit because that gives us a deeper connection, not just to the Father, but to Jesus himself. Uh, Ortland says in, in this book, he says, the Spirit takes what we read in the Bible and believe on paper about Jesus's heart and moves it from theory to reality, from doctrine to experience. And so it's almost like a, a tangible something that we can hold on to. And that's what I love about that. And we talk about that in Good Youth Club, trying to help the kids understand what's in their head because they're getting the facts, mm -hmm. but then moving their heart. Oh, man. And so we sit down in the invitation time trying to help them. All right. Has it impacted their heart to where they're responding? To it? Mm -hmm. Yeah, we do that same thing in Awana, too. That's what I try to convey to them, moving it from head to heart. Yeah. Awesome. And if that voice that you just heard is strange to you, uh, we're joined this morning again by Ralph Shearer. Uh, such a blessing to have him, not just on staff, but uh, in our staff meeting today, he and Amanda um, being here um, uh, to help us out. The, the question to you, um, Ralph, is how does Thomas Goodwin explain the purpose of Christ going away and the Spirit's coming? I absolutely love these chapters. Um, we know that it's written in the Bible that Jesus says that it is to our advantage if he goes so he can send the helper. But how Goodwin explains the reasoning behind this was actually much deeper than I expected when I read it. Um, although Christ is no longer with us physically, he has given us his heart through the Holy Spirit who will tell us, and I love this, continual stories of Christ's love as long as you do not grieve him. And I'm, I, I got to quote one more. Sorry. Um, it says that he will tell you when I'm in heaven that there is a true conjunction between me and you and as true a dearness of affection in me towards you as is between my father and me. And that it's impossible to break that knot and to take off my heart from you as my father. I just found that absolutely amazing. Yeah, that's written. That one's highlighted, note in the side. Yeah, yeah I love that picture there. Yeah, that connection here is true, a conjunction between me and you. Dearness of affection. I thought those words were awesome to go to capture. Really, I just put the note, affirming God's love. Yeah. So the Spirit is continually reminding us of God's love. All right, Andy, we'll bring you into the conversation then. The quote that we see here is, remember that the Spirit is an actual person. He can be grieved, for example. What would it look like to treat him as such in our actual lives? And so what are the implications of that fact that the Holy Spirit is not an impersonal force, but a person? Well, just talking about the conjunction of him with us and the love 
with him. This morning I was riding down the road and I heard the old song, He Lives, and it says, He walks with me and talks with me along life's narrow way. And they're singing about Christ, but Holy Spirit is the one that walks with us and talks with us. And he lives with us. Mm-hmm. He's someone that our affections can see and feel. He's the warmth. We'll talk about that, I'm sure, a little bit later. But he is, um, you know, I love studying history. Those that know me, I love especially American history, but all history. I love studying especially Ben Franklin, George George Washington, you know, Abraham Lincoln, and then, you know, even more recently, Ronald Reagan. But I really love studying Winston Churchill. Uh, I, I admire them. I study them, but I don't know them and they don't know me. And it's so amazing to step from that head knowledge to the heart knowledge to someone that I can talk to and hears me every day. It's amazing. Well, coming off of that, then let's toss it down here to Will. So the question for you is, what does 1 Corinthians 2.12 teach us about the role of the Holy Spirit? Well, I think if you just simply, you know, read the verse, it kind of gives us our answer here. And it says this, it says, now we have received not the spirit of the world, but the spirit who is from God, that we might understand these things freely given us by God. And so Ortland talks about in the book, knowing, right? Um, and so in the class that I'm currently in, we talked about how our theology informs our spirituality, um, which ultimately, yeah, Pastor Michael wrote on that one. I took that quote straight from his paper, but it's cool. It's whatever. Um, but in that, that informs our orthodoxy, orthopraxy, and orthopathy. And the way that we've been talking about this already, our head, our hearts, and then finally how we serve our hands. And so it's much more than just a head knowledge. What it is, is that when we understand the things about good, he says it like this, it's experiential knowing that the way you know that the sun is warm when you stand with your face raised to the sky on a cloudless June day, like that feeling, you know what I'm saying? So the Holy Spirit informs our thought, which informs our hearts, which pushes us toward our hands and how we serve. Hmm. Wow, that's that's really really good the way you connected that um head hands heart um because something that orland says just a few few sentences down as he's quoting paul he says paul what what paul is saying is that the spirit has been given to us in order that we might know way down deep Mm. the endless grace of the heart of god and so amanda kind of bringing this chapter to a close how does this connection between the holy spirit and the heart of god affect the way in which we go about our lives in Christian discipleship. So I'm going to go off of a little bit of the analogy that Will um, just spoke of, and um, it was given to understand the key word, no. In this question, um, spoke directly to me in a way that made it easier for me to answer. When I think of the sun, I know that it is a source of light and warmth. However, when I step outside, my knowing of its properties turns into an experience of its light and warmth. Knowing the heart of God from an intellectual standpoint results in a discipleship that is merely a lecture, but experiencing God through His Spirit allows my life and the way I disciple to be more personal and experiential with a deeper understanding of the heart of God. And that's the way you answer that question later. There you go. <laughs> yeah. She polished up what you had there. <laughs> so, 
in the closing paragraph of chapter 13, he says, The Spirit's role in summary is to turn our postcard apprehensions of Christ's great heart of longing affection for us into an experience. So I think that's the key of bringing into reality each and every day, not just the knowledge of Christ, but the experience of abiding in Him each and every day. And I just put a note on my page, awakening what we need to know. So just reminding us every day. And so that focused on the role of the Spirit. Obviously, the book has been all about Christ. Chapter 14 then moves us into who our Father is, 2 Corinthians 1, that Father of mercies and God of all comfort. Mm -hmm. And so segueing now into the Father of mercies, Sandra, I'll bring you in. It says, what comes into our minds when we think about God is the most important thing about us. So pulling from A.W. Tozer's book, The Knowledge of the Holy. And so considering this quote from A.W. Tozer, what first comes to your mind when you think about God? The love that he has for everyone, the mercy that he gives everyone, and the grace. He's always with us. He walks with us during difficult times, during good times. Um, and he takes care of all of our needs with the mercy that he provides. I think it's such a great picture there. I love the beginning point there, just his love for us and especially with our kids and our student ministries, having them really grasp who the Father is. Because again, I think it's easier for us to grasp who the the Savior is, more accessible to understand Emmanuel, God with us, a little harder to understand the Father. And we'll talk about as we go through this chapter, just that we understand as the title of the book is, or the title of the chapter rather, The Father of Mercies. Mm-hmm. Well, you, you talk about that, that, that tangible um, idea of, of who God is, who Jesus is, who the Holy Spirit is. And I mean, we sing Jesus loves me, you know, a lot and talk about Jesus's love. But Will, when you think of the Father, do you tend to think of him as somehow less loving than Jesus? How can we accurately understand the relationship between the Father and the Son toward us as believers? So a lot of times when you look at God, we think of like these Old Testament rap stories of like Sodom and Gomorrah or Noah's Ark where he floods the whole earth. And you're like, man, God's wrath is like incredible. And so we're putting that on the Father. Um, but we also should remember John three sixteen for God insinuating the Father so loved the world that he sent his Son. Um, and a lot of times we talk about like this relentless wrath of the Father and the relentless love of Christ. And so the relentless wrath was poured out on the Son and the relentless love of Christ was given to the Father to let him relent that wrath. And a lot of times we think that they like meet head on and it's kind of like a force where they hit each other and kind of cancel out. But that's not actually what happens. There's this thing called the great exchange and where the wrath of the Father completely is absorbed by the Son. And then when the love of Christ goes to the Father, he completely relents that. But what we must understand is what he says right here um, on page 128. He says that the Puritans would often speak of the father and son agreeing in eternity's past, both of them together to redeem a sinful people. And that's what it's all about, y'all. That God the Father loved, the, loved everyone so much that he sent his son, and the son loved us so much that he gave his life to the father so that we could be forgiven of our sins. So we get to bring Ralph in again here at the table with us for staff meeting and gentle and lowly discussion. We're celebrating one year of Ralph and Amanda serving our children's ministry. Amen. 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 Amen
<laughs> so, we made it, yeah. Bringing you in to the key verse for the section, we try to make it real easy for you here, Ralph. We don't want to stretch you too much, so we give you the key verse for the chapter. Perfect. Yes. All right, Second Corinthians 1, 3. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of mercies and God of all comfort. So as we look at that verse, what does that phrase, the Father of mercies, tell us about the heart of God and who he really is? Well, one of the phrases that was used in the book, it says that he is more the father of mercies than Satan is said to be the father of sin. Mm. Now, that really spoke to me because Satan is sin. Um, he's defined by it. He cannot be anything but sin. And to read that the father of mercies is more than that does more than just comfort me. It melts me. It causes me to fall into his embrace. Clearly, his mercy and love is not forced because it is who he is and who he needs to be to the needful, to the wayward, to the messy, to the fallen, to the wandering people that's used in this text. But all of that is me and everyone else that's at this table. Um, the heart of God and the mercy that flows from it is absolutely beyond my understanding, but I thank him for it. And just tied in with that, what you were just hearing, I love on 131, he says, a correct understanding of the triune God is not that of a father whose central disposition is judgment and a son whose central disposition is love. So that ties in with what you were saying, Will, earlier. The heart of both is one and the same. This is, after all, one God, not two. Yeah. And that's actually one of the things I'm working out with the children. We're going through the Old Testament, and just like you were saying, Will, how many times did the father extend grace and mercy right. to them you know and again they see the wrath but i'm pointing out through every time how many times has the father laid himself out there before them and gives right. them that grace and mercy? Yeah. so he is the same yesterday today and forever father of love and we realize kids are willing to ask questions that adults don't yeah and so yesterday i was sitting with a good news club kid and he asked how old is god like, yeah, I love that. He just, you know, he's asking him questions. So I was able to explain to him, you know, that God is eternal. And we talked about his birthday. And I said, but we could think of when Christ came, you know, we celebrated Christmas. I said, so you can celebrate that. that that's the day when Jesus came. So we kind of connected that because that's a little bit more of his mind could comprehend. Right. Said, but God is forever. And we talked about his birthday. But with God, there is no day where he wasn't. That's uh, right. They're willing to ask those questions. They wrestle with it. We, not so much, you know. And so here, wrestling with who is God? Which is an interesting segue to the next question, Michael, that I want to pitch to you because as a pastor and as someone who preaches God's Word and, and preaches the whole counsel of God's Word, um, what should come into our minds when we think about God? Yeah, that's all over this chapter of understanding that balance and Will pointed to it, Ralph's pointed to it, of not disconnecting who the Father is from who the Son is, who the Spirit is. I think we might, we definitely are tempted when we talk about the Spirit. We have a real disconnect there to grasp who is the Spirit. But I love what Ortland says. He says, what should come to our mind? He says, the triune God is three in one, a fountain of endless mercies, extending to, meeting, and overflowingly providing for us in all our many needs and failures and wanderings. This is who he is. Father, no less than son. Son, no less than father. 
So Orland's reminding us of that union, Father, Son, and Jesus talked about this in his ministry, you know, the disciples. Will you show us the Father? Have I been with you so long? If you've seen me, you've seen the Father because that nature was no different. So there's not a love in the Son that's not in the Father. So he's not standing in the gap, as Will pointed out earlier, just because of the wrath of the Father. Mm-hmm. No, that holiness in the Father is holiness in the Son. That's right. And so here you see Father no less than Son, Son no less than Father. Mm-hmm. And so, Jason, I'll toss back to you then. Hebrews 1, 3, Christ is called the radiance of the glory of God in the exact imprint of his nature. How does this verse and what we discuss in this chapter aid in our understanding of who Christ is? Well, my, one of my favorite courses as a child was Holy, Holy, Holy. And the line, God in three persons, blessed Trinity, just comes to mind throughout this whole conversation of what we've been talking about between Jesus, the Holy Spirit, and, and God the Father. Um, but Dane Ortland specifically points out that Jesus Christ is the visible manifestation of the invisible God. So we get a picture of God by seeing who Jesus is. We understand God by understanding who Christ is. Um, the day before my my first daughter was born, uh, some very dear friends of ours said, when, you're, when your child is born, you'll understand two things. One, you'll understand how much your parents love you. And two, you'll understand what it's like to have your heart walking around outside your body. And, and Ortland uses that same reference uh, as he closes out this chapter. He says of Christ, in Christ we see heaven's eternal heart walking around on two legs in time and space. When we see the heart of Christ then throughout all four Gospels, we are seeing the very compassion and tenderness of who God himself most deeply is. So he closes out with John 16, 27, the Father himself loves you. And so that's God's word for us today. And the reality is, is that it's not based on our feelings, not based on how our day is going, not based on performance. God doesn't love us more today because we did really well in our quiet time or because it was Sunday and we went to worship. He loves us. It's his nature. He wants to extend that love to us each and every day. So I'm grateful for our staff being willing to walk through this book together and grow in our knowledge of the heart of Christ. And in these chapters, who is the Father, who is the Spirit? So I hope you've been encouraged as you listen. Join us again next week as we continue our journey together through this resource. And I pray it's encouraging you in your walk with Christ.